Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And in this one, some frustrating coaching and managing from the Texans and the Astros. It's our massive Texans and Astros postgame show. And we look back at a wild Saturday for the Longhorns and Aggies. Before we fire it up, a reminder that we're brought to you by BetUS.com, America's favorite sports book. Not only is BetUS the place to bet on all your favorite sports, but in just a few minutes, we'll remind you about our exclusive discount. It's a way to save money, support our show, maybe help you listeners make a little holiday spending money. At least we hope we can. More on that soon, but let's get it rolling with my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and a veteran and very tired journalist now, Stephen Curran. Stephen, we spent about eight hours watching Houston sports and got two frustrating losses. <laughs> How does that happen, Robert? I tell you, just, you know, one weekend to the next, just you never know what's going to happen. And it certainly, you mentioned a crazy weekend in college football. It's just been a crazy weekend all the way around. The Astros is the team we'll start off with first, and they did not or will not return the favor of the White Sox sweep in the 2005 World Series. Dusty makes what I thought were two terrible moves. One of those decisions doesn't just affect this one game. It affects this series and maybe the Astros' hopes of winning it all. Do you know which one I'm talking about, Stephen? Well, I I certainly had problems with a couple of moves. I, I had a problem with him. I, I didn't have a problem with him taking Luis Garcia out. It's when he took him out in the middle of a count, and you bring in Yimmy Garcia to face a left-hander, and left-handers have an 843 OPS against him. So I had that one. Uh, now, are you talking about game three or game two of the moves he made? I'm talking about game three, and to me, the, the, the Luis Garcia move was awful because you're still up 5-3 to three at that point. This bullpen has shown you absolutely nothing. They, they can't have a 1-2-3 inning. Maybe they got one tonight, which was a rarity for this bullpen, but the biggest part about this is when you take Luis Garcia out of the game, you, it means you're going to be using this bullpen even more than you needed to use in this game, and you didn't have to panic in this game. It wasn't like this is a must-win game. The object of this game should have been get through it without using a ton of the bullpen because you got a game tomorrow, potentially, if you lose. And and so why not just, hey, stick with Luis Garcia and see what happens before you go, okay, we got to immediately – I mean, Yimmy Garcia is not good. Yeah, I didn't really even have him on my roster. That's how not good he was for me. I think what Dusty was afraid of is that they, they were getting some hard contact against Garcia. And I think he just, but but I agree. I, I didn't like the timing at all. You know, as I mentioned, there was a 2-0 and count. You know, you're putting a pitcher in with a 2-0 and count, and that puts him behind the eight ball to begin with. And then, as I mentioned, Yimmy Garcia is terrible against left-handers. So he comes in, faces Grandel, who cranks it out of the park, and then everything just unravels from there. And then my other thing, Robert, is, you know, if you're going to put Zach Grinke in, why are you only pitching him one inning? Well, better than that, why are you bringing Zach Grinke in after you left Yimmy Garcia in for the next inning when he wasn't pitching well at all, and you got two guys in the bullpen in a game that you're going to need a lot of bullpen help in Zach Grinke and Christian Javier that are long men that you want to bring in to start the inning? Yeah, and, and you want to bring Grinky in to start an inning, but he had warmed up, I think, earlier, and he didn't bring him in. So, yeah, very curious indeed about uh, those particular pitching moves. I guess the, the one piece of good news is that even with all that, he still avoided 
using Presley and Graveman. He didn't use them today, but it was almost looking like, you know, if the Astros had come back and tied the game, he would have had to use them. This is where Dusty has got the history of not doing well in the playoffs with bullpen and pitching moves. And this is his history, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And let's go back to game two, Robert. You know, it got kind of scary for me in the eighth inning when Presley was warming up, or before the eighth inning, I should say. And I'm thinking, are you going to bring Presley in to get six outs after he's already thrown 21 pitches in game one? You know, as it turned out, he had Presley pitch the eighth and Graveman pitch the ninth. But still, you know, it's a good thing that they had an off day after that. But if you had had to use them in game three, it would have been really disastrous setting up for game four, which is going to be an afternoon game. I mean, it may be almost about to start by the time some people hear this podcast, Robert. Yeah, this this is uh, the weird thing about these postseason schedules is you, you get a day off and then you're playing at night and then you're playing an afternoon the next day because, you know, we're trying to do stuff for television and, you know, I, I, are the Astros and White Sox a, a good series with a lot of drama in it? I would think so. But, you know, they're, they're playing in the afternoon tomorrow on, on a Monday afternoon. It's, it's, it's kind of bizarre. The other thing that was bizarre, speaking of bizarre, see how I, I'm segueing here, is <laughs> there that, you go. that play with Grandal. And I tell you what, Stephen, I've seen a lot of stuff in my 50 years of watching baseball, but I don't think I've ever seen that whole situation unfold the way that thing did and, and, and what happened. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, it is always something with the rules of baseball. There are plentiful, uh, and that one was about as crazy as it gets. That's for sure. Okay, this is what I think on that. And I know every Astros fan is throwing a hissy fit about this, and they're really upset about how the umpires handled it. The rules from everything that I kept reading uh, about after this were, were basically followed by the umpires. Apparently, there's nothing against what he did right there, even though it seems like it's an odd deal. And for me, this isn't about, hey, this was a terrible call because the umpires kind of followed the letter of the law. From what I read, it's more like, hey, maybe it's time we need to change this rule in baseball because it's a pretty stupid rule if you can run that far down the line and still be in the grass and it's okay. Yeah. And, you know, Robert, at first I got upset too about the whole thing. But, you know, apparently as I delved into it a little further, the deal is, is that if it, it's if it's on first base and the runner is there and he gets hit, but it, that doesn't count when you're at home plate and you get hit. So that that's where it, I, I think was the difference. And then a lot of people miss it. But it, it's one of those rules that I, I think when I was when I was in college, I actually took an officiating course. And that's the first time I ever learned about that rule, that it even existed. <laughs> and it didn't even make any sense to me then. And it still doesn't make to me sense to me all these years later. So, yeah, it, it's really crazy. But the, the umpires ultimately did apparently get that right. The other part about that rule is that you don't have to be inside the lines until you're a certain a, a amount of feet up the line. 45-foot rule, I believe, is what they call it. Exactly. And and that's that's what happened. I admit I was pretty upset at first that I thought they got it wrong. I thought it was a stupid call. But as we delved into it, you know, that's the difference is if he'd been on first base, then it would have come into play. But he wasn't. He was at home. And let's get something clear. And, and, and I watched the crazy play that happened in the Red Sox-Tampa game. Right. I, I, I know that there's a lot of people that are upset and they feel like, oh, the Red Sox guy did this on purpose and Grandal did that on purpose. 
there's no way these guys can think that quickly, Stephen. And these these are so odd situations. You can't go, okay, I, I, you know what I'm going to do when I'm running to first base? If the ball is hit to first base, I'm going to run in the grass as long as I can so the guy throws it at me and, and the ball bounces off. I, I, how? Why? How, how is he going to think of that? Yeah, that's a bit far-fetched. I, I don't see why you would need to do that. I, yeah, that's that's a bit out of the... That's a bit out of left field, no pun intended there. Um, but baseball has some crazy rules. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But thankfully for the Astros, really, that play did not lose the game for the Astros. The Astros lost the game for the Astros. At some point, somebody from this bullpen, not named Ryan Presley, has got to step up and do something. And, you know, Christian Javier looked fairly good when he was out there. I was happy with him. Um, Ryan Stanek hasn't looked bad at all uh, in, in the playoffs. I think these are the guys that you need to start relying on because you know Yemi Garcia is not going to do it. You know Brooks Raley's not going to do it. We've seen enough of those guys over the course of the season. And really, you know, we're, we're at the point where you you got to start limiting who who is going to be in these crucial crucial situations. I mean, this game was basically over with or close to over with when, when it got to 9-6. to six. You could say, well, the Astros were going to come back. But, I mean, they'd already scored six runs. The odds of you scoring 10 in, in this game were, were, were not good. Yeah, I agree with you, Robert. The the only thing is that the only way you're going to make that happen is that you've got to stretch your starters out and they've got to go longer. I mean, you can't have them going two, three innings every game and just have a limit as to who you use in your bullpen. I mean, that's that's really the key. You know, if Urquidy could give you six innings, you know, and if Lance McCullers comes and if there is a game five and he comes back, give you six or seven innings, then you can get away with that sort of thing. But that hasn't been the Astros' M.O. for most of their pitching staff. But, yeah, this bullpen, I mean, it's been a problem from day one, really. And, you know, when you get in the postseason, you you can't have it fall apart like that. You know, they only had one inning, Robert, the pitching did, where they got a one, two, three inning. Only one. I mean, this has been, it feels like a month since they, they get an inning with, with just a one, two, three inning. I, I think I've tweeted that out. I don't know if I've. You did. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't know if I've mentioned that as much on the podcast, but it, it just, it seems like this is the thing with the Astros over and over again. Uh, you and I, I want to say we spoke after the last regular season game, or maybe it was, maybe it was on the podcast. I can't remember, but I said, you know, watching that last regular season game, I'm I'm just looking for one of the guys in the bullpen because you used a bunch of them. Hey, give me a one, two, three inning. Give me something positive to go into the playoffs. And it, it just feels like I haven't seen a one, two, three inning from anybody maybe outside of Ryan Presley in the last month. It, I mean, it's just, it, it never happens. Yeah. And that's uh, something that really needs to start happening. You know, it, and a lot of the thing, you know, a lot of those runs came with two outs. And that's what the Astros were so good at. You know, they they had a 421 batting average with runners in scoring position in this series and 361 with runners on base. Well, tonight it was the White Sox that had the runners scoring. And the strikeouts, Robert, the Astros struck out, what was it, 16 times. That, you know, that's very uncharacteristic of their offense. But here's the thing. I, this was the game that I figured if the Astros were going to lose a game in this series, because I think we both picked them in four, if I remember correctly, I know I did. It, this was the game that I figured they would lose. Going to Chicago, where they don't seem to play well anyway, and the White Sox won two out of three this season. And you have Garcia pitching. There's such an unknown factor. You, you didn't think he was going to go very deep to begin with, and you were going to have to rely on the bullpen. 
I feel a bit more confident with Urquidy going the next day. I assume, you know, they haven't officially named him, but I'm, I'm certain that's who it's going to be. So this was the game, Robert. You know, the, the thing you don't want to do is let it get away from you in game four, even if you do have to come back to Minute Maid Park and wrap it up in game five. The good news from Sunday is that the Rays are on the brink of elimination too with the Red Sox. And if you can get through this series and maybe not have to face the Rays, that seems like a good thing because the Astros, they don't like facing the Rays too often in in the playoffs these days. No, they certainly don't. And I mean, the Red Sox are going to be tough, but if I had my pick, I would certainly pick Boston over Tampa Bay any day, especially the way the Astros have had trouble with them. They, They came close to beating them in 2020, but not close enough. And I guess this comes under the sun rises in the east and sets in the west today. Uh, You can't walk guys as a starting pitcher. Ask Dylan Cease and ask Luis Garcia. Don't walk people because those runs score. Yeah, he gave up walks in every inning that he was in there, you know, all three innings basically. And that came back to bite the White Sox in the butt, you know, in this series before game three. So Walks will kill you. I mean, it just did. Walks, errors, those little things, they'll kill you. And it certainly killed the Astros pitching. Any last thoughts with this series or where the Astros are and, you know, how you, how you feel moving forward? Am I overreacting a little bit to, to Dusty and pulling Luis Garcia? I just I don't like the fact that he had to use so much of the bullpen needlessly or potentially needlessly. Luis Garcia could have continued to suck and then you would have ended up having to pull him anyway. But that's one of those things where, where you got to take that shot. He needed one out. That's it. He just needed one out to get out of the inning. Yeah, I would have liked to see him to try to leave him in for one more inning. But beyond that, I just don't think he would have lasted. I mean, as I said, they were getting some pretty hard contact against him and that gets pretty scary. You know, when, when hitters start teeing off on pitchers like that, it, it's a potential for disaster. And I think that's what Dusty was going on. But I just felt the timing of some of the moves and just, yeah, the way he basically emptied the tank throughout the game. Hopefully it doesn't come back to bite the Astros. You know, the the bad news is you're going to have to come back in less than 18 hours and do it again. So some of those same guys you may have to use in really short turnaround. But I still feel good about this, Robert. As I said, I, I think this was the game the Astros were going to lose. And they can still come back, win game four, and wrap this series up and Everybody has a few days of rest. That's what I'm hoping for. Time to switch gears and move to a wild Texans game. And our friends at BetUS had the Pats favored by 10 over the Texans earlier in the week, but the margin moved to eight by game time. Steven, you and I thought 10 might have been a little bit too much, and we were right. I hope people got in on the action on this one. Yeah, they should have listened to us, Robert, because we would have had it. And yeah, they brought it down a little bit, but they didn't bring it down quite enough. My goodness. Um, what a heartbreaker for the Texans, though, and, and that drive at the end of the game. And, and Robert, i got to ask you about this roughing the passer penalty on Collins. I, I mean, I, I just thought it was a bit over the top, the, the call, that is, just a bit much. It looked like he had, was pushed into Mac Jones. You know, it, it's still, either way, it's unfortunate, and uh, the Texans lose the game. But I don't know, the, the, you know, I hate to blame officials for losses, and I'm not really, but that and a couple other calls today, uh, you know, they, there's a face mask on the on the Patriots I didn't call. Eh, a bit questionable, especially on that roughing the passer call. Yeah, we're, we're going to get into all of this stuff. And, and you're right. I, I think the, the, the officials were were not good. And there's a lot to discuss. Maybe you're going to want to start off with what 
happened on that last drive after the roughing the I know I have thoughts after the roughing the passer penalty. But before we get to that, I just want to remind everybody that if you're going to bet on the NFL this season, if you're going to listen to us and make some money, do it with BetUS because you might as well do it with a sports book with integrity and longevity. It's not just football. They take action on any sport. They've been doing this for three decades. Really a pioneer in the sports book industry. Diehard customer fan base. Easy to use mobile platform. They've got everything. You just got to log into BetUS.com or call 800-792-3887. 79BetUS. That's real easy to remember. And we can save you money when you sign up. You know it. We, you know we've been talking about our promo code, HST125. 125% sign-up bonus on your initial $100 deposit, HST125. And to help our podcast, do us a favor. Sign up either using the BetUS link on our pinned Twitter post at the top of the page or go to our website, HoustonSportsTalk.net, and look for that BetUS icon. Get your online and social sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS, you bet, you win, you get paid. Oh, what an ending of this game, Robert. And just as we said, just such a heartbreaker for the Texans. The thing is, Stephen, David Culley, we talked about it before this game. We've talked about it ad nauseum about David Culley. He's learning on the job. He doesn't know what he's doing as far as game management, clock management, Stephen. And can the Texans ever get a coach that can figure this out? Because <laughs> he, they just waste timeouts. They call him at the wrong places. They do this all the time. I, I thought uh, the timeouts were used good when they knew they had to use them, but there were these situations where they just get lost and they don't know what they're doing and there's confusion. It, it, it's a team that's always it's always having issues with this. It's, it's, ne it's never going to end for us. Well, and, and you can't even use the rookie quarterback thing as an excuse because, yeah, I mean, when, when Bill O'Brien was the coach and, and just in other situations where you had Deshaun Watson, sometimes you, you couldn't get your clock management right. So, yeah, you can't even say, well, you know, you had a rookie quarterback and he's still trying to figure it out. And unfortunately, Robert, th those are the things. It's those little things, coaching mistakes, penalties, bad, you know, special teams. I mean, it all added up. You know, I, as I said earlier, I wasn't I wasn't blaming the for the officials for the Texans losing today. Certainly, really, it boiled down to the fact that the Texans made too many mistakes. And yeah, the way they use their timeouts and clock management in a close game like that, it very well could have been the difference today. You mentioned earlier the Malik Collins personal foul penalty. He he did hit him in the head. We know they're extra careful about that. It was a backbreaker. That continues the drive. The game could have totally gone the other direction without that penalty. But Steven, Cully uses the timeout, and we're going to get back to how he used the timeout when he used the timeout later. But you basically wasted a timeout earlier in the half, and then what happens Late in that drive, get, you've got to, to a point where you get past the two-minute warning. You know you're not getting the ball back with any time left if you don't let them score. I think you have to let them score. When they scored and then there was a penalty, the Texans should have declined the penalty. I know this is going to sound crazy to some people, but it's true. You decline the penalty. You let them score the touchdown because a short kick like that, these guys, typical NFL kickers, although it was a weird day for kicking and we're going to get to that. But still, they typically don't miss that field goal, and you might as well just let them score right there. Well, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, I was going back and forth between the TV and the uh, Texans radio broadcast, and I happened to be in, tuning in to Mark and Andre, and, and Andre even brought up the same thing. He says, why not just let them score right away? Texans can get the ball back. 
and you know maybe they can still do something with it even if they have no timeouts and you know unfortunately that's not what happened but yeah that that is a prevailing thought and you know it, it goes against the grain i guess of some that says why would you let a team score well when you when you basically are against the wall the way the texans were and you still would have had time to do something you know you would have obviously had to come back with a touchdown but you it, it's a time factor robert it's it's about executing the time, as you just pointed out, and the Texans didn't do that, so therefore it cost him in that situation. The Texans had opportunities even in that drive. There was a ball that hit one of the defenders in the hands. Maybe he makes that catch. They, they get turnovers, but there could be so many more turnovers with the Texans, Stephen, because you know we've seen they, they, they haven't recovered a lot of the fumbles that they've had a chance to recover during this season, and then they've had a lot of times where the ball – hits a defender in the hands, Justin Reed and Lonnie Johnson had a great shot where either one of them could have come up with an interception. Reed kind of knocks it out of Lonnie Johnson's hands, but there was those opportunities that, that you miss and, and man, they always come back to, they always come back to bite the Texans. Yeah. It was Cunningham that you're referring to that almost had that pick Robert. And then, you know, on the next play, you have that sweep to Bolden. He gets that nice run for 25 yards after the catch. So, I mean, that, that put him in position and, you know, then the Patriots actually made a mistake a little bit uh, later in the drive. You know, Stevenson got the handoff. He got the touchdown. An illegal shift brought it back. But the Patriots were still able to capitalize on the field goal. So, you know, even when they stumbled, they were able to get it together and, and win the game. All it took was a field goal. And listen, a lot of stuff is going to get lost in the shuffle in this game. But one thing that should not get lost in the shuffle is Davis Mills. 20 for 28, 313 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, 141.9 passer rating. You cannot ask more from your rookie quarterback going up against an all-time great NFL head coach and defensive genius. Yes, that would be Bill Belichick, all right. Defensive genius, that, that is his trademark. As much as, you know, now being the head coach of the Patriots and winning all those Super Bowls. And listen... Davis Mills, you, you talk about a bounce-back game, Robert. We've seen many of them. I, I mean, I think we even said it last week. Things couldn't possibly get any worse for Davis Mills and the Texans, the way they played against the Bills. You had to figure that they were going to come back with a lot more fire, a lot more in focus and intensity. And boy, oh boy, Davis Mills did that. And, and honestly, that's what makes it so much of a more of a heartbreaker, Robert, because you really wanted the Texans to win this game as much for Davis Mills and, you know, the performance that he had as anything else, and it just didn't quite happen. But, man, you can't say enough about the way Davis Mills bounced back today. Well, Stephen, are, are you going to be there in a, in a couple of years saying, remember, Robert, when you just had no confidence in Davis Mills and you called him a failure early on? Boy, were you wrong. Well, you need more than one game, obviously. Uh, but the one thing that I've said about Davis Mills on numerous occasions is he does have the ability to learn from his mistakes and bounce back. I, I wonder how many hours of film he watched this past week in agony, you know, of the Bills game and, and learned from it. And, of course, during uh, practice during the week, one game is not going to certainly put him in the upper echelon to say, well, maybe the Texans don't need to draft another quarterback this next year. Got to see a little more than that. But progress is progress. And at this juncture of the season, Robert, you know, yeah, the Texans are one and four, but you'll you'll take that progress from last week to this week, certainly at, at this moment. Look, I've got a lot of issues with David Culley so far and his clock management and some of the weird things that he's done. But 
this was fun Texans. This was about as fun a game to watch from the Texans play calling perspective that we've seen, Stephen. They had flea flickers, the wildcat, fake punts that weren't fake punts, going for it on fourth down, what was it, three times? They probably should have gone for it on uh, fourth down when Kaimi Fairbairn missed that 56-yard field goal, but that's another story. Yeah, I absolutely love the play calling, and, and this is what I've been wanting to see for Davis Mills, you know, the, the short intermediate passes and using David Johnson more as a wide receiver. How about that, Robert? We, we know that David Johnson is a good pass catcher, and I've been puzzled over the last couple of years he's been with the Texans. Why haven't you used him more coming out of the backfield? Not only that, he was, he was lining up wide right, wide left like a wide receiver and catching the ball. That's something that we should have been seeing a long time ago, in my opinion, regarding David Johnson. But it, it's loosening it up, just letting the kid figure it out and, and make those plays and, and, and just spreading the wealth, basically, is what it did. The running game still needs a lot of work. I mean, it just it wasn't that effective. But what it did do, Robert, is it set the Texans up for some of these other plays that they did pull off. And, you know, a couple of drives, one of them, the first one, over 10 minutes, and you get a touchdown. Then another drive, you know, when they kept the ball, I think, for seven minutes. So that's the kind of thing you need to see out of the Texans' offense, and the play calling was definitely a big deal with that. Yeah, you just skated past the David Johnson thing, and I got some more thoughts on that because you said use them more in the slot. So the Texans go out, and they get Anthony Miller to play the slot. They gave up a fifth-round pick for a guy that's been a bust on the Bears, somebody that you're going to have to pay at the end of the year because he's going to be a free agent. And why? Why are you doing that? You've got... David Johnson that you could use a little bit more in the slot. Why are you spending draft capital with a team that badly needs draft capital, that badly needs cheap picks? And we just, we keep rehashing this stuff because this is the stuff that Casario is doing. That's going to cost him in the long term. He gave up, he gives up a fifth round pick for him. They could have released Amendola this week, mid thirties guy that he hadn't done anything here, but still, what have you got from Anthony Miller to this point? Not much either, but at least Anthony Miller's a little bit younger, mid-20s guy. And Casario, he, he continues to make these moves like he believes the Texans are a Super Bowl contender. And, and he just made them all offseason. Every time he did it, we said, why? Why is he doing that? You know, it's like rearranging a puzzle, trying to find that perfect piece. And you keep you keep putting pieces in that are obviously too big or too small in the, in the slots, Robert. I mean, that's kind of what I look at it. And that, that kind of goes back to what I just said, though, is, you know, why weren't you using Johnson in that situation much earlier? I, I mean, it's obvious. We, we know what a great history he has as a pass catcher, not, not so much as a runner these days. So, yeah, it is puzzling. And, and I would like to see more of that, you know, maybe more of the slot with Johnson moving forward, certainly. Let's open up this game a little bit. And, and, and our breakdown usually includes we go through – Every possession, because you you find out what happened, good, bad, where it went wrong, where it went right. But 18-play, 79-yard drive, you just mentioned it, Stephen. Longest drive in minutes for the Texans in 10 years. Mills to Eclaire, 11-yard touchdown pass. 18 plays. Just, wow, wow. Yeah, and it would have certainly been a shame if the Texans had only ended up with a field goal or certainly no points, but at least what it did do is it took a lot of time off the clock. What, 10.06 was that drive. And I think if I'm not mistaken, Robert, the Patriots, you know, they got the ball and 
that was the only possession they had in the first quarter, and it was basically over. <laughs> so that's how long the Texans' drive was in that first drive. I don't even think they got through the whole possession, their whole next possession, but the, the Texans scored the touchdown, and then, hey, Kaimi Fairbairn, he's back, and then he misses the PAT, and then he kicks the ball out of bounds on the, play, on the kickoff for a 15-yard penalty, and then he misses the next PAT. Steven, uh, did you miss him? <laughs> well, I, not after all that, certainly, Robert. And it just made me wonder, you know, is the guy, did they bring him back too soon? Was he 100% at all? Because you talk about rust. I mean, my goodness, you can't really blame him for the 56-yard field. goal. That's a pretty long field goal. His career high was 55. But missing two extra points, you know, and then to top it off, I, I mean, I don't know if it's just bad karma on that, <laughs> on that left goal post or whatever, but Nick Folk of the Patriots even misses one. But Fairbairn missing two and then kicking that ball out of bounds to set up the Patriots at the 40, which basically left them, you know, what, 60 yards for their score. And then they missed the extra point. So, yeah, it was, it was just really sad to see how Fairbairn was just missing. And that's why I was really surprised that they even wanted him to attempt a 56-yard field goal in that situation later on. Yeah, he makes the two extra points, and he makes that long field goal. Yes, it's a 56-yarder, but it would be nice for once if the Texans had a kicker that was capable of consistently hitting a 50-plus-yard field goal once. In the, it's like the same story over and over, the same issues that this Texan team has. But let, let's move to the Texans on defense. You mentioned that they go, they go down the field, the Patriots do. Damian Harris runs over Lonnie Johnson for a one-yard touchdown. I'm reminded of uh, Spencer Tillman, Stephen, where he always says, low man wins. Get low, Lonnie, get low. <laughs> get low. <laughs> One of the decent things that uh, Spencer Tillman says, right? Yeah, and then the next drive, the Texans on offense, look at Davis Mills, 67-yard touchdown pass to Chris Moore. Off the practice squad, Chris Moore. Spectacular catch, great run, and then Fairbairn misses another PAT. But let's go back to that. I mean, Mills... Puts it in a place where you think there is great coverage. Maybe it was a bad pass. And then all of a sudden, what? What happened? <laughs> Mills puts it in the only place that Chris Moore could catch the ball. I got to give him little props for that because I think you immediately thought it was bad. But I think that was just well-placed, you know, well-placed football. Yeah, it, boy, I, I just couldn't believe it. it. It took me a second to go, wait, that was Davis Mills who did that? And here's the thing about Chris Moore. You know, on the Texans' first drive, he was called for offensive holding you know, that it wiped out a good play that uh, the Texans made there. So, man, I, you know, they, to, for him to come back and being on the practice squad, but for him to come back and, and play the game, he had several more catches after that. So, yeah, hats off to Chris Moore. He made that play look brilliant. On defense, Terrence Mitchell knocks the ball out of Harris's hands at the goal line. Mitchell, an outstanding play. And I was shocked that the officials gave this one to the Texans with the angles we saw on TV. It didn't look conclusive and it's the Patriots. So Texans, Patriots, Belichick, uh, television angles. It's a miracle. It's a Christmas miracle. I mean, it's a, what is it? A Halloween miracle? Well, it's a Halloween miracle. Yeah. You know, an early Christmas miracle. Certainly. Yeah, that that's certainly true. And, you know, I was taking shots at the officials earlier, but they did give the Texans a break when yeah, Mitchell punched that ball out. And, you know, that again, the aggressiveness of the Texans' defense, I'm telling you, it, it almost would have made the difference in this game because it certainly helped. Lovey continues to do a great job getting these guys to cause turnovers. That leads to the offense going 15 plays, 65-yard drive, 
Fairbairn does get this one, 33-yard field goal, 15-6 Texans. The drive ended with the help of, what else? A Titus Howard penalty. That was a big one, and then a couple of sacks. But the drive also had Davis Mills completing, Stephen, he completed two huge fourth down passes, and Mills had over 200 yards passing at the half. Yeah, how about that? And, you know, that was a weird drive, Robert, in so many ways. You mentioned the two fourth down conversions. There were three penalties, two sacks, and that was also the drive that the Texans had 15 plays, took seven minutes, 11 seconds off. They they did settle for the field goal, but again, they ran down the clock. And uh, yeah, Titus Howard, how many times have we talked about, you know, what is the deal with Titus Howard? All right, so, you know, we talk about this offensive line. Let's cut them a little bit of slack for this game because they lose Laramie Tunsil just a little bit into this game with hand hand injury, Marcus Cannon out. Um, He's on the injured list now, so your your two starting tackles are gone. Um, That is kind of a big deal with an offensive line that's not that great to begin with. But I'm going to get back to the offensive line more a little bit later because they're starting to really drive me crazy let's go to the last possession for the Patriots in the half nine play 42 yard drive 52 yard Nick Folk field goal and Stephen we mentioned it earlier Justin Reed dropped an interception that Lonnie Johnson he was like almost mad at Justin Reed because he was like I'm ready I've got I had that one it's it was in my hands why are you getting in the way (laughs) (laughs) you know it's kind of like two baseball outfielders converging on a ball and not communicating and they either run into each other or one reaches over and knocks the ball out of his, you know, it, it happens in football too. It's, I mean, communication is so important. You know, you talk about it really in every sport has it. And in that case, uh, yeah, big breakdown there. Sure could have helped the Texans if he'd made, been able to make that play. So then the second half starts Patriots on offense, Lonnie Johnson interception back to back weeks with the interception by Lonnie Johnson Got to give a little love to six-round pick Roy Lopez. Helped with the pressure, but Lonnie with good coverage and a nice catch. Uh, usually we get to our defensive MVP a little bit later, but defensive MVP for this one, is Lonnie Johnson in, in the running for you, or is he your guy? Yeah, I'd, I'd say he has to be. I mean, he's he's really come to play in the last few weeks, Robert. He's he's just been turning on the afterburners and making plays like that. You know, he continues to do that, and he's one of the reasons the Texans, believe it or not, have, what, six interceptions? This year, and we've only played five games. He got a personal foul penalty. Steven, you talked about it earlier. Some penalties yeah. that were not penalties. That that was not, a, I, I thought that was a perfectly good tackle. I mean, it's so hard to differentiate when a guy's in the open field and another guy's coming straight at him. So you're going to say, you know, he whether he used the helmet or the shoulder first, and you can judge that in split-second timing and know what his intent was when a guy's just trying to bring a guy to the ground and they're going straight at each other. Well, and, and let me be clear. I, I have no problem with trying to protect players. You know, football's a rough game, and you don't want to see unnecessary injuries. I, I get that. I understand that. But, you know, th- those are such difficult calls to make. And, you know, guys are just trying to be intense. It's almost like you can't be too aggressive or be too intense or you're going to do the wrong thing. And I, just can't, I can't imagine being a player trying to make a great tackle and, you, you know, in the back of your mind, you're going, man, you know, what if I get too close to the head? Or the, you, you can't think about things like that. You've got to make the play. And that's sometimes just, unfortunately, what happens. Davis Mills had a bounce back game. Tim Kelly had a bounce back game. The flea flicker, brilliant play call after the interception. Hits a wide open Chris Conley 37-yard touchdown. 
But Stephen, the stat that mattered in this game is Robert Smiles, and the other stat that mattered is Robert cheering ratio, and it was at an all-time Texans record in this game, I think, with some of the plays that they they had. Yeah, maybe we should have put an over-under on that, Robert, uh, you know, for the Bet U.S. folks, because uh, we could probably have uh, capitalized on that as well with, you know, your, your cheering ratio. Um, it, it would have been way high today. Okay, so the, the, the Patriots get the ball three and out. Good pressure and coverage on third down for the Texans offensively three and out, but there was this weird play. It's a turning point, and, and you wonder what they were thinking, where they pretend to fake punt, then your punter doesn't get all the way back for the punt. And when he finally does punt, he's blocked. When the defender pushes his blocker back into the football, the kick was kind of rugby style. <laughs> so the angle was low, and you can't do that. And, and that's what the problem when you've got a rugby-style punter trying to do a quick kick in a situation like that. You get in that kind of trouble. I mean, I, I like that they're doing some of these things, but maybe you've got to pick and choose your moment, Stephen. Is that too much to ask? Yeah, you pick, your, you pick and choose your moment, Robert. And the fact is he was rushed because the clock was running down, so he didn't have time to get back into his original position. And it just made me wonder, you know, was, was he going to try to fake it? I, I just, I mean, that's the only thing I could think of. And then by the time, you know, he realized something was wrong, he didn't have time to get back and he just punted it right into the line. I mean, who couldn't have blocked that kick at that point? Do you think he didn't have time to get back into his position? Because if you go half, if you go like halfway back like that, if that's part of what you're doing, isn't that something that the the snappers got to know where you are? Because if you just do that, then John Weeks could have just airmailed it over his head or something like that if, if, he, if he doesn't know if he's all the way back or just half of the way back. You know what I mean? Yeah, that could have been a disaster. And he may have had time, but I know that the clock was, was running down pretty low. So he may have just felt rushed at that point. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to hear after the game, and I'm sure you know people will know by the time they hear this, you know, what was the thinking of that? Yeah, we're just giving you our – this is instant reaction, so we haven't even – had a chance to listen to David Culley and, and what he had to say. So after that happens, you know, it, it, it was a game changer. Patriots couldn't move it, but they still could get an easy field goal from folks. So Texans got a little too cute, and that's what happens. Then offensively, one first down and punt. Max Sharping holding call kills the drive. Steven, here's the deal. The O-line, they're not good to begin with, but they compound it with penalties you can be bad, you can be stupid, but don't be both. Yeah, and unfortunately, Robert, this is just be becoming an issue, and David Kelly yells and screams about it. You know, I heard him on the halftime radio interview with uh, John Harris on, on the radio broadcast. He says, we've got to quit doing these penalties. It's killing us. Well, you know, he's figured it out. Apparently, the players haven't, though. <laughs> Not yet. They said he was, tr they was trying to punish him in practice, and then they were doing the – offensive defensive drills if somebody had a penalty they would pull somebody out and then you're going 10 on 11 does that work uh not not in my not if i was coaching football no the next drive on defense for the texans offense for the patriots uh it's a seven play 47 yard drive folk hits a 32 yard field goal it's 22 15 back on offense after a bunch of indecision which led to a wasted timeout and this is a big one, a big timeout. Cully goes for a 56-yard field goal on fourth and four. That was Fairbairn's longest ever attempted field goal. Of course, he missed it. 
wasn't even close. What did you think about that? What would you have done right there, Stephen? I, I would have either gone for it. I know it was, what, you know, five, fourth and five. I would have either gone for it or I would have at least punted because, you know, even if it went into the end zone, you would still give the Patriots much less field position than if he had just taken over and missing a field goal. Or at the very least, you know, if you go for it on fourth and five, you might get a few more yards and give the Patriots a little more disadvantage. But I, I wouldn't have kicked the 56-yarder just based on the fact of how shaky Fairbairn looked through the entire day and the fact that, I mean, the Texans, you know, they could have at least might have picked up another fourth down conversion. They were certainly going that maybe they should have played the lottery as far as fourth down was concerned today because they might have made it. So, yeah, I would not have kicked the field goal for sure. Yeah, I think if you ask Texans fans, you get three choices what to do there. Fairbairn kicking a field goal with how he was looking was the, the third choice by everybody, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and maybe even, you know, the punt might have been the best choice because at least a very you could probably pin them way back uh, and, and had that chance. So, you know, if you miss a 56-yard field goal, then they took over at the, what, the 38? So, yeah, I just, that, that's, I, that one was, was a big puzzling one for me. It's the one thing that Cam's been good at consistently is pinning guys inside the 20-yard line. So, yeah, that's that's probably the play right there. Uh, you go back to uh, the Texans on defense, seven play, 54-yard drive, Mac Jones to Hunter Henry, 13-yard touchdown pass. Most of that drive, the Patriots, they just ran it down the Texans' gut straight up the middle. And, Stephen, it, it kind of surprised me because the Texans looked tired on defense. They shouldn't have been. They, 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 they did a great job with time of possession. I mean, with some of the long drives that Davis Mills had in this game, you would have thought, hey, the Texans – are in pretty good shape. They should be good by the fourth quarter, but they didn't look like it in that drive. Yeah, they certainly didn't. And uh, yeah, you would think that with, with the long drives. But and, and it's funny because when Harris was in the game initially, the run game was really working for the Patriots. And then he fumbled and they took him out for a while. And then when they put him back in, the running game started to click again. Yeah, the, the Texans clearly did not stop the run when they needed to. Just way too many big plays as far as runs, you know, both in, in the first quarter and then in the you know late in the third and fourth quarter, that really made the difference, and the defense just couldn't come up with those kind of plays. Three and out on the next drive for the Texans. Sack on Mills. Justin Britt doesn't block anybody. There are two guys. He doesn't know who to block. Just a bunch of indecision on his part. Haven't mentioned his name a ton this year, which is a good thing. You don't want to mention your center much, but yeah, that was one of those situations where the Texans' offensive line failed them. Davis Mills... Uh, took three sacks, and I think the instruction was from his coach, just don't throw an interception. Don't beat yourself. And and that play, he didn't even have a chance because it was basically a guy came in um, unblocked and straight up the middle. That's almost impossible for your quarterback to do anything right there. Yeah, and that's right. I, there was another play where he got sacked. That I think that he just needed to take the sack because there was nothing there. And, you know, he still had a couple of throws where he tried to force a ball into action. Fortunately, he didn't have any interceptions, so you know he avoided those mistakes. But I, I think he is learning bit by bit, week by week, and it just it takes a while for all that to set in. Offensive MVP, it, it's Davis Mills in this game, but boy, a, a sure honorable mention to Chris Moore. I mean that that was a totally unexpected uh, performance by him and, and Chris Moore ends up with five catches 109 yards 21.8 yards per catch that was 
Will Fuller numbers. You want to be honest about it. Yeah, it certainly is. And where's Will Fuller now? Oh, I think he's hurt again. So, (laughs) you know, something interesting, Robert, you know, when you're talking about Chris Moore and then Brandon Cooks, who's been your leading receiver, you know, the first two drives when the Texans scored, Brandon Cooks didn't have a catch. Yeah, I mean, they 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 were really mixing it up. Uh, They got Chris Conley involved, the rare, really good day by Chris Conley, where you had three catches and 84 yards for him, including a touchdown. Uh, the flea flicker, Pharaoh uh, Brown, the tight end that had the best day, two catches, 22 yards. But didn't he pick up a penalty, Stephen, if I remember correctly? Yes, he did. Yeah. You know, Jordan yeah. Akins had a couple of catches. Eau Claire with his first touchdown catch. That was one of uh, Casario's offseason moves. And we finally see something from Anthony Eau Claire. But yeah, it, it, it was really about Davis Mills and, and, and really t- and Tim Kelly for some of the stuff that he designed and, and how they look there on the, on the rushing side, Mark Ingram, he's the guy 16 carries 41 yards. It doesn't look good, but I always feel like Mark Ingram is getting the most out of the least, which is what he gets from his offensive line. Usually. Well, that's exactly right. And that's one of the reasons I really like him as the featured back, especially, you know, in short yardage situations, when you need those kind of yards, I want Mark Ingram carrying the ball because his forward momentum is is what makes the difference Robert is yeah you may get a couple of yards but other most other running backs might have no gain maybe a TFL so you're going to get what you get with Mark Ingram you know but clearly the running game is still got a ways to go but as i said earlier i just like the fact that if the Texans can spread it around offensively keep the patriots guessing i mean that you know that that's really what they did is they kept the patriots off balance for a lot of that game, especially with those two long drives, then I think the Texans are going to benefit. And certainly Davis Mills is going to benefit to allow him, you know, do some of those fancy things that we saw with the flea flicker and some of the other great throws that he had earlier. I mean, his accuracy, Robert, honestly, really surprised me. You're talking about from one week to the next of just how much better it was. And obviously, as I said, it was one game, but man, you got to take the progress where you can. And he was really accurate for the most part in today's game. Yeah, just handled the pressure, knew when to get out of the pocket, knew where the rush was coming. I thought he did about as well as you possibly could ask from anybody, especially against, like I said, a Patriots defense that should know what they're doing with the brains that they've got. Um, Maybe not the talent that the Bills defense had, but certainly, you know, this is a shocking uh, performance by Davis Mills coming after last week's game. Uh, The defensive MVP... You lean toward Lonnie Johnson. I'm going to go a different direction. I I might as well give mine to Terrence Mitchell. He had seven tackles, six solo, and then that incredible play at the goal line where he punches the ball out. Uh, Christian Kirksey, you got to mention him too, 12 tackles, uh, six solo. Uh, The the interception that almost was but wasn't. All it takes is that one extra play that the Texans just couldn't make today. Yeah, and that's really it, Robert. It would have wiped out all the other mistakes that were made, whether you're talking about clock management, penalties, you know, missed extra points, all that. One of those interceptions might have been the difference. But you know what? It's a good problem to have, Robert, compared to last year's defense. You know, the the problem was finding a defensive MVP. This year, you're, you're having more than one guy come through in a game, and you're trying to figure out which one of them is your defensive MVP. Heck, man, I'll take that every week. I guess my last thought, and you can give, give, give me any of your last thoughts, but special teams, I mean, I just feel like it's a broken record, but we've been talking about this for the last few weeks. All the capital 
that Casario had in that offseason was towards shoring up special teams. I mean, he was trying to get other things better. Obviously, Tyrod Taylor was a big acquisition and, and, you know, what you did in the draft. But where you saw the real work for him was done in free agency. A lot of these guys you just thought were going to be really good special teams guys. And you talk about a terrible game for special teams, the block punt, whatever that weird play was that that led to the block punt. Uh, you get nothing from your return game again. You get a terrible performance by your kicker uh, all the way around. It was it was bad. Yeah, the return game. I mean, it's almost becoming like the offensive line, Robert. I mean, how many conversations are we going to have about the return game? I mean, you get Andre Roberts, you expect big things from him, and he's done virtually nothing. You know, we, we heard that Desmond King can do it, but of course, yeah, he's playing defense, so you're not going to have him back there. You knew that a reporter was going to ask David Culley any chance that the Texans make a change at kicker during his postgame press conference, Robert. Well, Culley's response, I haven't even thought about it. <laughs> Not exactly a vote of confidence, but yeah, just something kind of interesting that, you know, what do you do after a week when your kicker is so miserable? He's just coming off the injured list. So you don't know if it's a case that he just wasn't 100 percent, but if he wasn't, then he shouldn't have been in there clearly, you know, was not right. So just an interesting storyline to keep an, an eye on throughout the week is, you know, we, what is going to happen, if anything, with Fairbairn at this point. And trust me, it's not just a Cully decision. This is a Casario decision because of the, once again, awful contract that Bill O'Brien left you. Well, that's probably why he hasn't thought about it, because it's not totally in his hands either. So you're, but yes, you're right. We can't close out this show without getting to this insane college football weekend. Oh, my goodness. Well, let's start with U of H over Tulane. And I, I'm just going to skip it real quickly because it was such a, a minor thing now after everything else that happened. But they won again, 40-22. to 22. Um, They've only got one loss, the Tech loss. They're, they're really good defense. The Cougs defense racked up an incredible eight sacks. But, Steven... I don't know where to start. We got two incredible games on Saturday. The Aggies upset Bama on a walk-off field goal, which I'm still trying to wrap my head around a little bit. And we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. But the Red River shootout, I mean, come on. That was the most entertaining and fun regular season college football game that I've seen from start to finish. Just start to finish, fun, exciting, unreal. Well, it's certainly up near the top of my list, Robert. I mean, I think that Aggie LSU game a few years ago would would be competing for it. But but just with, you know, with with the implications of the rivalry that Texas and Oklahoma has, I mean, man, you talk about a game for the ages. And uh, there are different names for it. You know, we used to call it the Red River Shootout. I think now they just call it the Red River Rivalry. It's a little harder for me to say. So I think I like Shootout better. Well, it was Shootout on Saturday. And I have to tell you, Robert, even when Texas got up those two quick touchdowns, 14 to nothing, and and especially when they got up 28 to 7, as much as I hate to say it, I had a bad feeling about it. Because, look, this isn't Rice, you know, this isn't Louisiana Lafayette, this isn't a, a patsy team we're talking about that you can build a big lead, you know, come out with firing on all cylinders, you know, putting the pedal to the metal the entire game. This is Oklahoma. They're too good of a team. And obviously, when they made the change at quarterback, Spencer Rattler was was in the Heisman conversation coming into the season. I mean, most OU quarterbacks are. Not just that. He was even being talked about as somebody that could be the number one pick in the draft. Maybe he still is. Yep. I don't know. Yep, and may still be. But, but he was in that conversation. 
and you take him out and, and you put Caleb Williams in. Actually, you put Caleb Williams in and he does that crazy run on fourth and inches. And then you put him in later and he starts making plays. I, I just had a feeling when it was 28 to 7, this game is far from over. I still felt like Texas could hold on to win. But I knew Oklahoma was going to come back. I, I just had that sinking feeling. And it was just, you know, to me, it was a, a case that once again, you know, Oklahoma made the adjustments. Texas did not. And it really cost them. And, you know, I don't blame coaching entirely for losses like that, but it's got to be in the conversation, Robert, because Texas clearly lost their focus. Oklahoma started making the big plays. And before you know it, it was tied, and Texas certainly still had a chance to win it. But it was the Sooners in the end. But, yeah, you I don't care who won the game. That was a game for the ages. Yeah, the quarterback, Caleb Williams, you mentioned, he wasn't just a true freshman. He might as well have been a true high school senior since he didn't play a senior year of high school. Last time he played was like he was a junior. But the thing that just threw me, Stephen, in this game when I was watching was the Longhorns in the second half. I don't know what happened to their offensive line. It was a jailbreak every single time you think, okay, they're ahead. Maybe run the football. You got the best running back in all of college football, but he had nowhere to go. Because the offensive line, just they couldn't block anybody. It looked like all of a sudden they had forgotten how to be an offensive line. They didn't know what to do, where to go, who to block, whatever. It was That was nuts. Yeah, it was curious because in the first half, B. John Robinson was doing B. John Robinson things. you know. And then, of course, you had Xavier Worthy coming out of nowhere to make some incredible plays. He had that one mistake where he, the ball was five yards deep in the end zone, and he chose to brought it, bring it out, and that cost him. But, yeah, I, it was curious. Now, the offensive line, Robert, has been a sticking point throughout the season. I mean, they were utterly pummeled by Arkansas, mainly because of the offensive line problems. They would played, you know, a bit better the last couple of weeks. But clearly, in that second half, they were totally manhandled by OU. And, they, yeah, Texas couldn't run the ball to save their life. And, therefore, even Casey Thompson, who's been a big play guy this year, I mean, when he's been in there, he's made plays. But even Casey Thompson couldn't save them from the lack of a running game, and the offense just completely stalled in the second half. The reason why I thought this game was one of the most incredible games that I've seen was just how many crazy fantastic plays that we saw in this game. The catch by the OU wide receiver for the touchdown towards the end. I mean, come on. It was one of the best catches. Great throw just to make it possible for him to make that catch, but... You know, you had the great angle with the television angle where they show uh, the end zone camera or whatever. And you see that, you know, the, the shoelace might have been on the, on the outbound marker, but that was it. And then you had that run by Caleb. Was it uh, Bijan Robinson makes the run where he's doing like Reggie Bush 2005 moves. He's a zip. And then he just makes one guy zip again. He goes across the field and then you think he's out of it. And he's out of breath. And he's going to run out of bounds. And then he almost gets into the end zone. There was a, a run that was just a ten, simple 10-yard run from the OU running back where he breaks four tackles. He's busting through guys like he's Earl Campbell. They, they, they're they just coming off of him, flying off of him like, uh, you know, Superman trying to go through a crowd with, with you know, he's got the cape on and the whole thing. There's so many plays. I, I've forgotten half of them, Stephen. There's just, there was, they were all, it was like one after the other. Boom, boom, boom. Well, and we probably should have seen it coming. I think the first play of the game when Xavier Worthy, that 75-yard run, you know, for the touchdown, the catch, it, I mean, it was like, oh, my gosh, the game has barely started and we're already seeing big plays. So you kind of knew. <laughs> but I, I think well, I'm with you. 
I, I think I lost track, you know, even in the first half in the third quarter of how many big plays, but then in the fourth quarter, it was just, it was like two teams or two boxers in the ring, just trading haymaker punches. One goes down, gets up, punches the other one. He goes down, he gets up, punches. I mean, it's just back and forth craziness. I mean, this this whole college football season has been kind of crazy, but this is definitely one of the, as you said, one of the craziest weekends that I've seen in a long time. And I watched that Texas USC game, like everybody else, beginning to end national championship game. This game was way more. If you take out what was on the line in that other game and what was on the line in this game, if you take it out, this game, just more exciting, more great plays, more fantastic moments. Well, yeah, if you love high scoring games, you know, if you love no defense, you know, I kept looking around for the defenses of both teams to see if they ever showed up to the game. (laughs) But, you know, that's really what it was uh, because, yeah, it was just one big play after another. Nobody could stop anybody. I mean, in Mississippi State and Arkansas, it was kind of the same thing. What was it, 52 to 51? Arkansas goes for the two-pointer, you know, doesn't get it, loses the game. Obviously, no defense there. So, yeah, if you like high-scoring juggernaut games, that was definitely the game. The USC game in the national championship in 2005, you know, it, it was more the comeback factor, I think, that made that game as great as it was with Vince Young, you know, leading them. But as far as pure scoring and just pure excitement, yeah, this game definitely had it all. Yeah, and it's so incredible because that game and the Ole Miss-Arkansas game, they're going on at the same time, and they're just the undercard because at night you get the Aggies, Beating Bama for the first time since Johnny football. Bama goes down for the first time in two years. Jimbo makes good on his promise to beat Bama with Saban as the coach. And remember, Stephen, when Jimbo said that a few months ago, when he said, I'm going to beat him with Saban, Saban's response was, does he he mean he'll beat us in golf? Yeah, I do remember that. In fact, I remember when it came out, I'm like, oh, my goodness, you better watch it. Making making predictions like that. How many times, you know, Joe Namath did it, <laughs> but not too many others have been successful at doing that. But, man, he pulled it off. And, you know, the way the Aggies have been playing, just the, the offense struggling the way it did. But Calzada, man, what a game. And, you know, of course, he got hurt toward the end of the game. But it was just – it was one of those things that I don't think anybody expected it. You know, certainly going up against Alabama and A&M, you know, with those two losses basically put them out of the top 25 – and then to come back and knock off the number one team in the nation, Robert, man, that's saying something. 106,000 fans plus in Kyle Field watching that game. Man, that place was packed. Oh, second largest crowd in Kyle Field history. I, I didn't catch who the first largest or what was the first largest crowd was, which game that was. But the Aggies scored 41. We were just basically saying the Aggie season's over with. Because Haynes King going down was a killer. And Calzada, you mentioned it. What in the world got into him? Three touchdowns and they score 41 against Alabama. When What did they score, like 10 against Colorado or something a few weeks? I mean, yeah, they lost 20 to 10 to Arkansas and then 26 to 22 to uh, Mississippi. So, yeah, it, it was – yeah, that, that's why it was one of the reasons that I just felt like that was the last thing I expected, I guess – Playing Alabama does that for you, though. You play way over your head with teams like that, don't you? I, I guess. I don't, it's, it's almost impossible to explain because, okay, so they scored 10 against Colorado. New Mexico, whatever, they scored 34. But then the last two games, 10 and then 22 against Mississippi State. Right. But basically, they've scored 
10 points in two of their last four games with Calzada. Arkansas, you know, it's a really good defense, but still Alabama's defense. I mean, come on. This is one of the best, if not the best defense in all of uh, college football. It, it's uh, it's almost unexplainable, you know, that that, that win. And, and I'd like to see the Aggies pick up some momentum with that. You know, you can you cannot have a letdown. It's the SEC and they better keep this up. Uh, or this win just becomes a sort of a side note. It's like, oh, it's nice that we beat Alabama again, and that was a great day and a great moment. But, you know, it, you you got to keep it going. Now, they have my Missouri Tigers next week, so that's going to be a win. But then then you've got South Carolina. I guess that's that's one that they should get. Auburn, Ole Miss. They're, they're, you know what? I look at it again. They're scheduled not too difficult the rest of the way, to be honest with you. <laughs> but that's also a danger, Robert. I mean, how many times do you see a team stub their toe after a big victory like that against a team that they should beat? So, yeah, if if I'm Jimbo Fisher, I'm, I may have celebrated briefly, but then I'm going to be worrying the rest of the week and trying to make sure you get these guys focused for the Missouri game because, uh, you know, Missouri, they're capable of knocking people off. They've done it in years past, and that's just something you have to think about and as you said, you got to keep up the pressure when you're in a conference like the SEC when one loss will you know, really make the difference of where you go and where you don't. So, But what a big win. I mean, it's certainly a signature win. Steve Sarkeesian couldn't get that with Texas. you know. So to rub more salt in the Longhorns fans' wounds, the Aggies win against Alabama. So you know they're not too happy about that. Yeah, and just keep in mind, though, that uh, the Missouri defense is – I think anybody can like you and I could get out there and run against them. It's, it's not really that difficult. And if you look at the rest of the schedule, Ole Miss is on there later in the season, um, but they've got a few weeks to kind of get a little momentum and get going and see if Calzado can keep this thing going. Maybe he could get some momentum before the Ole Miss game. And then LSU is at the end of the season, but I don't think it's the, you know, this is not the LSU teams of old. Yeah, they can, they can make a nice run here to end the season. They've got two SEC losses. You want to just try to run the table and, and leave it at two SEC losses. And maybe, maybe Bama stubs their foot again. Maybe, you know, maybe you get something where, you know, you can be in that SEC championship game. I don't know. Well, it certainly changes the game as far as the playoff picture is concerned. I mean, look, you've got Georgia number one, you've got Iowa is is certainly now has to be in the playoff mix. So, yeah, there's still a ways to go in the season, and anything could happen. But you know, the the fact that Bama loses, it it changes the fortunes of some other teams that are trying to get in the playoffs. That's for sure. Wow, what a college football weekend! It's like I don't know, Stephen. I I feel like I have not as much of a college football fan as I used to be over the years. But what a Saturday! Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, Robert, and and I've said this you know to numerous people before. Over the last few years, I've come to enjoy watching college more than the NFL. And, you know, obviously, I do watch the Texans. Uh, You and I both do because we're podcasting about them. But, you know, if we weren't, I'm not so sure how much NFL football I've watched. But the college game has really captivated my interest over the last few years just because of all the many different storylines. I mean, it has its issues, too. I still don't think the playoff, you know, they're trying to talk about a 12-game playoff or 12-team playoff. Who knows how many years that'll take if it ever happens. But the college game, just watching it, the the pure game itself is so much more exciting for me than the NFL has been the last few years. And hey, Stephen, if you want to do a little game inside the game and spend a little money wagering on college football, the NFL, any sport, you just go to our sponsor, BetUS.com, America's favorite sports book. When you use it, the code HST125 to redeem that 125% sign-up bonus on your 
initial $100 deposit. If you forget, the promo code is in our show description every single week. So, you know, no problem. Just check there. Uh, to help our podcast, you can use either the pinned Twitter post link at the top of our Twitter page, or you can go to our website, HoustonSportsTalk.net, and click on BetUS on our Twitter. It's, it's basically all over our website. So, you, you, you know, anywhere, any page you go on, you'll be able to find that BetUS link. Until next time, go Strohs! You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.